Well, as we, uh, as we continue through Malachi today, I want you to think, are you a promise keeper? Now, there is a movement, oh, I don't even know how many years ago, must have been close to 30 years ago, called the a Promise Keepers Movement. The title was good, even though the, I think the movement went a little off, off course in some things. But the premise is this, is are you a promise keeper? Are you a person of your word? And as we've been going through Haggai and Malachi, we've been looking at Israel and seeing how Israel would make some promises and they wouldn't fulfill them. They'd get sidetracked, they'd get drifted, they'd get obsessed in with themselves. And I was looking back on my life because when I read the scriptures, I, I've been training myself for years when I read a scripture not to look at somebody else but to look at me and say, God, what is it that you're trying to tell me here? And I can't tell you the number of times that I made barters and, and promises to God when I got myself into a jam. You know, God, if you just get me out of this, I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again. I'll never act that way again. And we get delivered either by uh, God's deliverance or just from nature itself. But we forget that promise. We're short-lived sometimes in the words that we give. And in the, in the Bible it tells us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And I want you to think about that. When we uh, are talking about being examples to others around us, do they see that in us? Do they see us being people of our word? Okay? So when we talk about people of our word, that means we are going to follow through with what we're going to say we are going to do. And too many times, and I think myself included, we get way too lax on this where we'll just say something to somebody, yeah, okay, I'll be there, and, and we haven't really thought about the cost of it. We haven't thought about the commitment of it. We haven't thought of really thinking it through. Is this even something that I enjoy to do? But we make that commitment, we make that promise in essence, and the words can even go back in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament to covenant. We make a covenant with somebody. We make a pact with them. We say, I will be there. I will fulfill what I have said that I will do. And again, we fall short of this, but that's not an excuse for us, okay? Israel was full of excuses, and we are going to look at that today as we uh, go through the rest of chapter 2 of Malachi. So from Matthew, go back a few books, you're going to find Malachi. We're in the second chapter, we're going to read um, 10 through the end of the uh, chapter. And he's talking about being a promise keeper, about being faithful to the commitments that we have made. And sometimes we find ourselves, we've made commitments, we're in over our head, we uh, didn't realize the, uh, maybe the enormity of it, uh, or the time constraints to it, or commitment to it, and so instead of working it through, or making it right, or uh, some way of dealing with it, what do we do? We just forget about it. We just turn and walk away. And now we see Israel many times that has done this. And so as we started in, in, in 2.10, it tells us this. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Now, 
when we read through this one father, for us, as we read it, we probably think of God the Father. That's a New Testament concept. The Old Testament concept of father was Abraham. They were probably referring as Israel to Abraham. Abraham is your father, Isaiah 51, 2 said. Some Bible students or, or scholars think uh, Malachi means God here, which it very well could be. I'm just pointing out a couple different things. But they're really saying, are we not all one? So as Christians sitting here today, if we're born again believers, we can ask the question, you know, we are one. We are one in God. We are one in the spirit, right? We are all part of, of God's family. But um, the word father for us is more of a New Testament concept than the Old Testament because the Old Testament, a lot of times they would use Abraham for that. And, uh, you know, like Matthew 6, 9, our father who, who, who is in heaven, we would talk about. So we look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And um, when we look at this, he tells us this. Do we all not have one Father? Are we all not of one people? Has not one God created us all? So when we look at one another, we know that God has created each and every one of us for his purpose and deal. And then he asks us this question. Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Now there he's talking about Israel. And again, we've talked about uh, offering the sick cow, offering substandard offerings, giving God of, of our leftovers instead of our first fruits, as, as he has asked us to do. Um, but to keep our promise would, would um, uh, be a, a, an English way of really saying, keeping our word in what God wants us to do and what we've promised God to do. And again, a lot of this is counting the cost. And a lot of this is just not appeasing people. We are a people that want to just make people happy sometimes. So we just think if we just tell them, yes, uh, they'll get off our back, or yes, I can go there and I can do a little bit. Uh, but to be a, a man of your word or to be a person of your word or a woman of your word is an important thing in God's eyes, and it's an important thing in the world's eyes. And so he tells us that we are profaning the covenant of our fathers. So for Israel, they were doing things that weren't right. And he, he fleshes this out here uh, in a couple of scriptures. In verse 11, he's going to talk about unholy. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. And so when we look at this unholy, the word reminds us maybe of images of false gods. And we say, well, we really don't have false gods. But again, when we read scriptures and when we listen to what God is saying, we might look at ourselves and say, what is the God of our life? Because if, if Jesus is, is the Lord of our life, if he is the God of our life, he is the primary thing of our life. He is at the pinnacle of our responsibilities. He comes first before everything else. But unfortunately for some of us, work has become our God. Maybe TVs become our God or our hobbies have become our God. Anything that we put before God the Father has become this idol, has become a foreign God in our life. And this can be even tied up in false religions, you know, uh, cults like Jehovah Witnesses and some of those that have works-based religions, they put all their, their eggs in that basket and they're no longer serving God, but they're serving the checklist, thinking that they're appeasing God for those things. So 
again, students and scholars aren't really, really clear on, on what it means to be married to the daughter of a foreign god. Uh, but there's basically two possibilities as I've studied through and, and have read. And, and the first is this. They brought a false god from another country into the temple in Jerusalem. So this would make the temple unholy. This would have defiled the temple to bring uh, a false god, a false idol, or something like that into the temple would have made that, that temple unholy. The second is um, some of the men had married foreign women. So we know that when Israel became that nation, when Israel became that people, they were to stay within their people. Okay, um, That's not a racist thing. That was a God's purity thing. God wanted this chosen generation, these people to be married to one another, but they married outside of these. Now, these foreigners served false gods. They had, they had served other gods. Important point when we talk about being married is why we don't get unequally yoked with a non-believer or a different believer because it causes problems. Because for the true believer who serves God and says God is the primary uh, focus of my life, God is the one that I need to stand before, God is the one that I need to please, God is the one I put my trust in, and then you have the other person over here saying, but I like this stuff, I like the world, I don't think we need church, I don't think there is a God, or I believe in God a different way. It causes conflict. And so it did in Israel, just marrying outside of that belief system because it was Israel that believed in the one true God. And so to marry outside of that was a big risk. Now, there was some of those that married outside that did choose to follow the one true God. But this is what that can mean in 11 when it says um, that he married the daughter of a foreign God. That wasn't pleasing to God. God is not joyed when we do that. Now when we're young and we're in love, what do we see? We just see love, right? We just see beauty. We just see possibilities. But again, we haven't caught, caught, uh, counted the cost, right? Again, and I would say before you make decisions, even little decisions, you should really sit down and say, now what is this going to require of me to do? Now, if God has called us to do something, uh, we can say, here I am, Lord. But we need to really understand that we're, we need to still count the cost of those things. Because when we commit to things, we are dependent upon people for those things. So yesterday we had a little work day, and, and you know, I basically knew that three, four other guys would come along, and we had those three, four guys. It made it very easy. Now, if none of those guys would have showed up, that would have put an awful burden on the one who did. You see how our word means something? It doesn't just affect us. Well, that's just between God and I. Not always. Because sometimes our commitments affect others. And he's going to talk about that here. So, uh, probably the second of these was the, the correct one, I would say, that they were marrying outside of of Israel, it was causing a few issues, and I say that because a little bit later in here it's going to talk about um, about marriage in particular. Um, but people joined the Jews when they left in Egypt, and that was okay, and they followed it, and that was mentioned in Exodus 12. Also, we have the book of Ruth, and when you read the story of Ruth, uh, Ruth of Boaz, um, the Bible makes it clear uh, 
that foreign people obeyed the God of Israel. That would be a conversion. Some of those people converted, and that's what she had done, of course, in Ruth, and she was a faithful servant to God. Verse 12 goes on to say, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So it's, it's pretty strong. May they be cut off. Sometimes that means death. May they be shut down. May they be removed. But it means that it would, this person um, would not be really belong to Israel. So when we talk about cutting off, sometimes we can talk about shunning. Shunning is in the Bible. And, and who do we shun? And how do we shun? And how does, how does those things happen? And why would we ever shun somebody? Well, a lot of people do it, I think, in the, in the wrong manner. Uh, some people don't do it at all, and I think both of those ways are wrong. But really, it's when somebody has rejected the Word of God, they've rejected what God has, there's been multiple attempts at reconciliation to, to have people uh, acknowledge what they need to as far as God's Word does and as far as the covenant and their commitment does, but if they continue to do that, even in the New Testament, you know, you shake the dust off your shoes, you move on. It doesn't mean that you need to, to berate them and, and to belittle them or to get a billboard and tell the world how bad they are. But it means that I'm not going to deal with this. Because you know better. And it talks about that at the end of 12. You know better in that. And so they would avoid that person. Israel would, would avoid the people that had done that. And at 12 it says, Yet... Um, this man who does this being awake and aware. It means he knew what he was doing. Some say it was a teacher or a student. They knew what they were doing. How many times in our life do we know what we're doing and we do it anyways? We know it's sin. We know it's wrong. We know it's not good for us. We know it's breaking a promise to God or to others. And yet being awake means that we're alert and aware we know the consequences. We choose to do it anyways. And God spoke of Israel this and say, may they be cut off. May they be cut off. At the prison I have, men from time to time where they're involved with stuff and they, they, they get involved with something else and I'll confront them on it. I'll say, why are you doing this? Why, why are you involved in this activity? Why is this going on? And, and they'll either continually reject it or try to justify themselves in, in where they're at. And I usually tell them, I don't have time for this. If you're going to play games with God, I don't have time for this. Now that's different than somebody that's learning. That's different than somebody that's coming along and growing in God. This is somebody that's awake and aware. They know and they're continuing to choose to do this. We need to look at our lives and say, are we awake and aware to the things that we're making promises to, that we are making covenants with God with, or making covenants or promises with other people with? And are we continuing to be a person who doesn't let their yes be yes and their no be no? And so he goes on, may the Lord cut him off, yet he who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts, the end of twelve, in this second thing you do, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, 
with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Only the priests were allowed into the temple and to the altar. And so when we look at this, we see that it either means that the priests or perhaps the, the people they served were doing this. They're coming, and, and it, it's going to continue on here, and we'll wrap it all together in a moment. But the priests were either coming with, with their petitions or the petitions of the people, because that's how they did it back then. If I had a concern, if I had a prayer request, sort of like when we do prayers here, though you're all free to, to pray your prayer to God, and he hears you just as well as he hears me or anyone else. But they would bring it to the priest, and the priest would present these things at the altar. And he goes on in 14 to say this. Yet you say, for what reason? Here's Israel again, for what reason? Remember just a couple chapters back? How have we done this? God is saying you have done this. You've rejected me. You've brought poor offerings. How have we done this? They're in an argumentative mood with God. And many times we're in an argumentative mood with God. As I look at the world today, I, I get so frustrated. And I know it's the world, and I know that they're lost. And, and so I'm not so frustrated with that world. I'm frustrated with our world. When I look at Christians, and I see how Christians respond in rebellion, in anger, and the way they talk and the way they treat one another, that bothers me deep in my heart. And, and I believe God speaks to that here. You say, for what reason? We question God. We see what his word says, and yet we choose to go a different way. We hear what, what others say, and, and yet in, instead of standing in the faith, we stand in our intellect. We stand in our, in our own knowledge. God is the one who's created all of this. God is the one who is in charge of all these things. And here is Israel arguing back. For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, from whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. They're asking. And I'll tell you the one thing about when you ask God, and if you want to get in a debate with God, God is the best debater. His word is truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. When we read his word, we know his word is true regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I believe, regardless of the direction I want to go. God is true. And if I disagree with him, I am the liar. The Jews believe that God was a witness to marriage. All the way back to Genesis 31. God was a witness to that union. We stand before... Um, the minister most times when we're getting married and before God in these witnesses we get married and I'll tell you even if you try to take the easy way out and go to a courthouse and do it it's still before God if you are a believer coming into a union with someone it's before God and God is the witness to this companion is a very good uh, word for that for my companion, the wife of my youth. And he's saying, why are you dealing treacherously with this wife of your youth? Now back in biblical times, things were a little different. Men, men had a lot of rights that women didn't have. When Jesus came in the New Testament, he corrected most of that, if not all of it. 
But it's funny how man's mindset doesn't change. But a man could divorce a woman for just about any reason. He didn't like her. She was gone. He wanted to marry another woman. She was gone. It was just along those lines. And so he's saying here to Israel, a lot of you have, have dealt treacherously. And he's using this as an example. You've, dressed, you've um, been dealt treacherously with your wife, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He's saying you have stood before the altar of God. You have made these professions and you're breaking them. You're taking them lightly. You're walking away. And even though he's speaking of marriage here, he's speaking about much more than marriage. Because there's times when we stand before God as our witness and we've made professions, we've made covenants with God. We've made promises to him. And we're not keeping them. And we walk away like it's nothing. We, we live in a world today where, where things are disposable. Our word is disposable. We don't even really care what others think or what others do. First, I sort of fall behind in this. We've... Being unequally yoked was the first one. Disregarding your promise to God, 13 and 14. He tells us in, in verse 15 here, as we're going to read, take heed to your spirit. When we get to the point that we don't care about others or what others think, I've shared this. I've had, I've had Christian friends through this COVID thing that have made statements such as this, I'm not afraid to die. Well, that's, that's grand. I'm not really afraid to die either. But I don't want to be the reason when I stand before the Lord that I say, well, I took these guys with me. I don't want to be the reason others do that. I could go down the highway 150 miles an hour say, I'm not afraid to die. That's fine if it's me and if my decision just affected me. But when I'm going down the highway 150 miles an hour with disregard for others, I'm taking other people's lives into effect. If I die, it affects my wife. It affects my children, my grandchildren. It affects the first responders that come to the accident. Just as we saw this last week at Bushes. I mean, we had, we had a room full of people that were dealing with the death of somebody. And, and though that person that, that passed didn't do anything wrong. I'm just saying, those things affect others. Do we think about how our decisions affect others? Are we taking heed to our spirit? When we say that she's the companion of your youth and your wife by covenant, a companion is somebody that's pretty close to you. And you're breaking this. Does that affect you at all? Verse 15. But did he not make them one? So we stand before God and God makes two one. When we enter into a covenant, a covenant joins at least two parties together in an agreement. Did he not make them one? Having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit. 
and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. I think the important part of that verse there is take heed to your spirit. What kind of spirit do you have? Do you have a rebellious spirit? Do you have an obedient spirit? Do you have a compassionate spirit, a loving spirit? Do you have a selfish spirit? We look around the world today, we can see a lot of the wrong kind of spirit. But as believers, we're to have the right kind of spirit. Do you take heed to your spirit? Verse 16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. And he says, says the Lord of the host, Therefore take heed to your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. There's many translations to this marriage that he's talking about. He talks about making the two one. You know, if Larry and I come into agreement on something, we come and shake hands on it, we've come into an agreement. We're of one mind of that, that agreement. That happens in marriage. Do you keep the promises that you've made? But, but I made a promise with this guy. That, would, that didn't involve God. If you are a believer, it involves God. Because he says, let truth come from your mouth. Speak that which is righteous. Do that which is good. Malachi says it's, it's cruel to do otherwise. Be a person of honor. Be a person of integrity. Consider your spirit. Take heed to what type of spirit that you have. If you have a selfish spirit or a, a self-seeking spirit and you know that that's not of God, let God change that in you. Stop fighting them. Stop saying, for what reason do you say this? And it's going to wrap up in a, in a minute here. And I just want to say about marriage in Deuteronomy 24, it says the Lord allows divorce, but he always says that he hates it. He says that he has allowed it because of the hardness of our hearts. It wasn't because of God's problem. It was because of ours. And when we look at any promise, any word that we give, any handshake that we make, any covenant that we come into agreement with, when it's broke, that's not God's problem. That's our problem. And that's why he's saying, you know, take heed to your spirit because it's because of the hardness of our hearts. If you tell somebody you'll do something and then just choose not to do it because you got too busy, that's on you. That's an issue that you are having. So he says these people are coming uh, to, the, to the altar, either through the priest or, or however it was accomplished back then, with tears and, and just, you know, oh, but, but you don't understand. How many times do people get caught in things and, and that's their claim? I didn't, you don't understand and they're in tears. I have guys enter the prison every week and I'll talk with them and some of them are just in tears over what's happened, over what they've done. Verse 17 says this, You have worried the Lord with your words. You have wearied the Lord with your words. There's a thought out there that says, you know, 
Jesus died for all my sins, past, present, and future. And so, even when I do this wrong that I'm about to do, God's going to forgive me. Now, you can get into theology and you can look through all that if you, if you want to. But God is tired of that attitude. And God is wearied by those words that mean nothing. Being awake and aware, you walk into sin. There's a consequence for that. If it was truly repented of, those things are forgiven. But I have a hard time believing in repentance of something that we know is wrong and we choose to do it and then say, oh God, forgive me. And that it's just that light, that it's just that easy. You have wearied the Lord with your words, Malachi is saying. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? The people are still arguing. What do you mean we have wearied him? I don't understand it. I don't get this. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. This is the people. This is what they're saying. Have we heard that? All people are going to heaven. God isn't going to send anybody to hell. Listen to what Israel is saying. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or else they're saying, where's the God of justice? How many times have you found yourself in a situation of sinful rebellion in the midst of doing things that you shouldn't be doing or about to do things that you shouldn't do and you make a comment or have a thought like this? But God understands. He knows my weakness. He, he knows that I really don't want to do this, but I'm weak. Or, or he understands I really don't have any other choice than this, because if I do this, somebody's not going to like me. Somebody's going to reject me. My guys aren't going to think I'm cool. See, we try to take the mind of God and make it our own, and we can't. His ways are so far above our ways. But he has given us a spirit where he says, take heed to your spirit. He tells us God is tired of, of hearing the excuse time and time again. And also the wrongful claims and questions to him. Maybe the question shouldn't be towards God where is the God of justice? But maybe where is my responsibility to righteousness? Do you hate the things that God hates? Do you love the things that God loves? Are you willing to forsake those things around your life in order to follow Him and to keep your eyes on Him? When something is wrong, are you willing to say that is wrong? And I'm not going to partake and I'm not going to do that. And if somebody asks for a commitment and you're not sure that you can just say, you know, I'm not really sure at this moment. Let me think about it. More so when you're married sometimes. Because it's not just my decision now, I'm dragging my wife into it. 
Boy, I'd love to go do this and that. And then she's got to either come with me or, or keep track of things while I'm gone. God wants us to be righteous. And when he looked at Israel, he said, Israel, you got a problem. You know, God isn't looking at the world saying the world has a problem. God knew the world has a problem. We don't need to look out into the streets and out into our communities and out into the world and say they got a problem. Duh. Obviously, they got a problem. But what about us? What about us? Do we care about others or just the actions of ourselves? Do we care about what's good for the, the good of the body? Or just what I want to accomplish and what I want to do and what I want to see happen? Are we really searching and seeking after that which is righteous and holy and saying, this is where I want my life to be. This is where I want my life to go. Because that's what God is telling us here. Are you a promise keeper? Are you a person of your word? Are you dependable? Not just towards others, but towards God. When God comes down, are you going to be able to say, Lord, I did it, and I did it by your strength? Or is he going to see somebody that just went their own path, their own road, their own way? I don't need to confess that. God understands. People were tearing over the, the altar. They were saddened maybe by the things that they were doing, but they weren't willing to change. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome, but the problem is, is that doesn't happen. If you're in sin, you're going to remain in sin until God removes you from that sin. So that sin is repented of and dealt with. You can't remove yourself from the sin. You can't forgive that sin in your life. Only God can forgive that in your life. Are you seeking after Him? Are you seeking after the righteousness of God? Us, Christians, believers, are we one? Are we the promise keeper? Or are we the covenant breaker? God wants us to be an example. You know, I, I read a little thing, and maybe I'll share it sometime, but it's, it's a little dialogue, and, it, and it's really saying, when you say this, this is what I hear. And a lot of times there's a, a lot of difference. You know, when I hear people say, you know, I'm not afraid to die, so they do something stupid. What I hear is that you don't really care about others around you that it's going to affect. Do we have that empathy anymore where we put ourselves in the position of others? Don't argue with God. Don't say, what ways have we wearied you? We know how we've wearied God. But the thing is, for a righteous heart, he never gets tired of hearing us. For the righteous heart. For the one that is seeking after him. He's never too tired, never too busy to hear our confession, to see a heart that's seeking after him. And that's the wonderful thing about serving a living God. 
He wants you to be one with Him. If you don't know Him today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're struggling with things in your life today that you haven't surrendered, that you haven't confessed, today is that day. Don't take that baggage with you. Jesus has come to set us free. Israel walked in bondage for a long, long time. We sit here today awake and aware. We know the answer. We know what needs to be done. The question is, are you going to do it? Let's pray.